up next, we have a very special guest speaker, and um, he is a pastor, a, a best-selling author, and we're actually going to show a sermon. He did not come all the way uh, to Hawaii to speak um, specifically to us, but we want to share this special message from Pastor Mark Batterson on the power of prayer. Um, let's take a look and let's be encouraged today. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, declares the Lord. Amen. The Lord describes the difference between our thoughts and his thoughts to the distance from one side of the universe to the other. That's about incomprehensible, but let me give this a try. Would you snap your fingers tonight? In the time it took to do that, light so fast, 186,000 miles per second, can circle the globe half a dozen times. Now, our sun is only 93 million miles away. It's a next door neighbor uh, in light of the universe. But if you were to drive there, 65 miles an hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, it would take you 163 years to get there. But light that warms our face on a beautiful day is only eight minutes old. That's our nearest star. Astrophysicists now estimate uh, not just about 80 billion galaxies, but a universe at the outer edges. It's about 15.5 billion light years away. And God says that's about the difference between my thoughts and your thoughts. So here's my thought. <laughs> your best thought on your best day is at least 15.5 billion light years short of how great and how good God really is. I think what I'm trying to say is that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. Aren't you grateful tonight that it's not about us? It's about him and his glory and what he can accomplish. And I'll tell you this, I believe that if we stay humble and stay hungry, there's nothing that that God cannot do in us and through us. Uh, let me tell you a little bit of my story and then we'll jump into the word that I believe God has for us tonight. When I graduated from Bible college, uh, I didn't know what to do, so I did what you do when you don't know what to do. I went to seminary. <laughs> figured it would buy me a couple of years to figure out the Lord's will. And uh, at 22 years of age, I felt like it was time to plant a church. It's amazing how much you know when you're 22. <laughs> I had it all figured out, so I put together a 25-year plan for a church plant. My professor gave it an A. It has got to work, right? Uh, it did not work. Uh, that church plant, our first attempt at ministry uh, was a fail. And I like sharing that part of uh, my story because sometimes our plans have to fail for something better to happen in our lives. And so... I learned two things from that failed church plant. One, the cure for the fear of failure is not success. It's failure in small enough doses that you build up an immunity to it. 
and you fall down enough times and here's what you discover. Who's there to pick you back up? Your heavenly father and to dust you off and give you another shot and I bet the next time around you're gonna be more likely to give him the credit. And the other thing I learned is that unless the Lord builds a house, they who labor, labor in vain. Can I just go on record as saying that without the Holy Spirit, I'm below average? Am I in the right room tonight? But with the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and God has a way of using the foolish things, doesn't he? And the weak things. And, uh, and so, uh, I have the joy and privilege of pastoring a church here in this city. We're one church with eight campuses. And uh, I'll tell you just a, a quick piece of our story. Uh, our first weekend was the weekend in January of 1996 when the, the blizzard of 96 hit the East Coast. That was our first Sunday. <laughs> Three people showed up. My wife, myself, and our son, who was just a little baby. <laughs> but the beautiful thing is, we, we experienced um, what is still the largest one-week percentage growth spurt in the history of the church. Uh, we had 19 people the next weekend. That's 522% growth spurt <laughs> in one week. And so, uh, we, uh, it was school of hard knocks, but... Uh, the Lord was gracious, and I really believe that God does some things because of us, because of our obedience or our faith, but I believe that maybe he does more things in spite of us, and if we can just stay out of the way, uh, then he who began a good work is going to carry it to completion, and I believe that's a word for someone tonight because that's the word of God, and we stand on his promises and so we had this crazy idea of launching a second campus before multi-site was a word. And uh, here we are a few years later, and we uh, are 50% single 20-something, very young church, a lot of Hill staffers that attend our church. And uh, our heartbeat really um, is that we'll take 34 missions trips this year as a church. Because I, I believe that one mission trip is worth more than 52 of my sermons. You want someone to get a heart for what God is doing, get some peripheral vision to be able to see how the kingdom is advancing, uh, get them on the mission field, right? And so uh, the Lord's doing some wonderful things, and I believe the best is yet to come, uh, Along with our eight campuses, I'll just share a few other little pieces. I, I think the church belongs in the middle of the marketplace. Jesus didn't just hang out at the synagogue, he hung out at wells. Wells were natural gathering places in ancient culture. And so that's why a few years ago, we built a coffee house. Churches don't build coffee houses. I didn't even drink coffee when we built the coffee house. Uh, but I, I do now. In fact, I have a little formula, the Holy Spirit plus caffeine equals awesome. <laughs> Do you know, we've had more than a million people walk through the doors of our coffee house, more than a million dollars in net profit, every penny of profit we give to missions. It's helped fund. Yeah, isn't that, 
there are ways of doing church that no one's thought of yet. I believe that. And uh, some of those monies have helped go to fund a dream center, the doors of which we will open. And this is so great because our mutual friend, Matthew Barnett, was here last night. He was so gracious a few years ago, came out and cast some vision for us. And in a month's time, we will open the doors to our DC Dream Center and Ward 7 in our city. So I can't resist the opportunity. I, I live in a city where uh, the news coming out of this city is political. But I want to tell you that God's kingdom was here long before our democracy arrived on the scene. And I'm great. I love our country. I'm, I love, but his kingdom is going to come and his will is going to be done. Uh, it will prevail, I believe that, and so we're seeing a groundswell of what God is doing, and I'll tell you this, we're believing for revival in our nation's capital. Amen. And I'll just add this one little thing, I think there are two keys to it, and these are just sermons within a sermon, okay? It's not about the name over the church door, it's about the name that's above every name. Amen. And if we could put our insecurities and check our egos at the door and love each other as churches and as pastors and if we understood that we're hashtag same team. <laughs> I think we would see his kingdom come in such a powerful way. And so I think it's churches coming together. And listen, we need lots of different kinds of churches because there are lots of different kinds of people. The other thing I would say, and this is just a personal conviction, but I, I believe that, that we don't give the generation that went before us an opportunity to affirm the generation that comes after unless we honor the generation that went before. And so I'm a big believer. You give honor where honor is due. And, and if we learn to do that, then I think we're gonna see God usher in his kingdom in an incredible way in our day and age, and I, for one, am believing for that. Well, tonight, I wanna take a few moments and talk about the power of a single prayer. A couple of years ago, I was invited to the White House, and I, my wife and I, we, we raised our three kids on Capitol Hill. This is the city where we live and do ministry, but you don't get an invitation to the White House every day. And so I put my suit and tie on and uh, went through security. The Marine band was playing. It's kind of the pomp and circumstance. And it was uh, Easter prayer breakfast. And, you know, I love Easter. Come on. We love Easter. Also love breakfast. Okay? This was a key part of that invitation. And I see this buffet set up, and I know, I know now where our tax dollars are going. It was an incredible buffet, and I'm ready to eat. And so I'm expecting, uh, you know, when they ask a 76-year-old African-American pastor uh, if he would pray and bless the meal. I mean, honestly, what I'm just expecting, Lord, bless the food, let's eat, amen. Because I, I believe in short prayers before meals. I think it's good stewardship, eat food while it's hot. He launched into the most powerful prayer I think I'd heard in, in many, many years. 
He prayed with the familiarity with his heavenly father that made me feel like he knew God in a way that I didn't know God, but made me wanna know God in the way that he knew God. And he prayed with this authority, like he had just come out of the throne room of God. I thought, if, if, I mean, if, I'm not worried about food poisoning, because this thing is sanctified. And so it's one of these moments where I turn to the two guys who are next to me, and you'll know them, uh, Andy Stanley and Louis Giglio just happened to be right next to me. And I turned to them and I said, you guys, I feel like I've never prayed before. <laughs> At least not like that. In Luke chapter one, 11, verse one, what did the disciples ask Jesus? Lord, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us to lead. Lord, teach us to disciple. I mean, those are great things, right? I believe in preaching. I believe in leadership or leadership. I love that. Uh, I believe in discipleship. But that's not what they asked. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. That makes no sense because they've been praying their entire lives. But not the way that they had heard Jesus pray. The, the familiarity the intimacy with his father and the authority and power with which he prayed made them want to pray like that. Here's my prayer tonight, that the Lord would take our prayer lives, no matter where they are, just turn the dial a little bit. Just give me a notch or two just turn it a little bit because when we change the way that we pray, we change the way that we preach. We change the way that we lead. We change the way that we disciple. And who, who has children? Okay, you'll never be a perfect parent, but you can be a praying parent. And prayer turns parents into prophets who shape the destiny of their children through their prayers. I believe in the power of prayer. <laughs> Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, and verse number one. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Okay, that's all I need to know. Prayed to God regularly. Now, we don't know when or where or how. I don't know if he prayed kneeling, if he was a kneeler. I don't know if he was a walker. I'm a walker. I walk and pray. Helps me not get distracted for some reason. I don't know if he prayed with his hands folded like this or like this. Don't know if he prayed NIV or KJV. <laughs> All we know is that he prayed to God regularly. Here's what I know for sure. When you pray to God regularly, 
Irregular things will happen on a regular basis. When I don't pray, things don't happen. But when I pray, coincidences happen, and I don't believe they're coincidences, I believe that they're providences. Prayer is the difference between the best you can do and the best God can do. Don't you want the best God can do? Uh, prayer is the difference between us fighting for God and God fighting for us. I think a lot of us are trying to fight those battles instead of getting on our knees and letting God fight the battle for us. So, we have a man named Cornelius who prays to God regularly, and I love this. He says, one day, I can hardly get past that little phrase. Uh, this, these are two of my favorite words in the Bible, one day. Does that not fill your heart with hope? One day, if you keep doing the right thing day in and day out, I promise you this, one day, God's gonna show up and show off. You know, our first five years, we were in the shadows. Growth was hard. I remember our first marketing campaign. I, this is dangerous when you go off script, but I remember our first marketing campaign. <laughs> and we put together this flyer. I put together this flyer. First problem right there. <laughs> I remember we sent it out. I, I saw that flyer a few years ago and was just thinking, what in the world were we thinking? I mean, terrible marketing, but in retrospect, I'm glad. Because basically what we were trying to do was to get people to come to church to see how poorly we do church to ensure that they would never, ever come back again. <laughs> made no sense. So first five years, you know, we, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, I see these church planners up here and I love them immediately because I know how hard it is. About five years in, uh, finally someone noticed us. A reporter for the Washington Post contacted me because she heard that we were 80% single 20-something. That's what we were at the time. She said, that's an anomaly. Like, what is happening? Because 20-somethings don't go to church. And, but they were coming to our church. And she said, I want to do a story. And so she interviewed me. She wrote the story and said, now, keep an eye out because this weekend, uh, I think if my editor gives it the okay, it's going to be in the religion section uh, in the Washington Post. And I'm so excited. I'm finally like, someone's going to know we exist. And so, at the time, we were meeting in the movie theaters at Union Station. Anybody go through Union Station this week? It's our transportation hub, but there used to be theaters in, in Union Station. That's where we met for 13 years. And so, I went to one of the newsstands, and I picked up that Sunday edition, and I was so excited. It took forever to find the religion section, because, you know, <laughs> paper's this thick, religion section is that thick. And I open it up, and total disappointment, because we're not in there. I think we didn't even make the religion section. So I fold it back up and put it on the newsstand, because if we're not in it, I'm not going to buy it. <laughs> that was $1.25, not on a church planning budget. <laughs> and we're on the front page of the Washington Post Sunday edition. You know what I love about that? I can't take an ounce of credit. Don't you, don't you love the things that you can't take any credit for? That's just God saying, it's my time. 
and he shows up and he shows off his grace and his power and his favor, right? And so uh, one day, it says that Cornelius, about three in the afternoon, has a vision, sees an angel of God who comes to him, says, Cornelius, Cornelius stares at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Let me just stop right here for a moment because I think this is so critical. You're in a city that's filled with memorials. I mean, what a great place to be on Memorial Day. Who planned this? Brilliant, right? Um, so we have the Lincoln, right? And we have the Jefferson, and, and, uh, and then we have the Washington Monument. My kids, because they grew up here, call it the giant pencil. <laughs> These memorials, see, we have a tendency to remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember. Did I say that right? You get the point. <laughs> memorials don't let us forget. This is so beautiful. Do you realize that when you pray, you're building a memorial to God? Okay, because here's the problem. We pray for something over here. We ask God and say, God, please, please, please. And by the time God answers it over here, we forget that we ask for it over there. And so then we fail to even connect the dots and give him credit. But God didn't forget, did he? No, because it's a memorial offering. I've got to share this. Anybody have praying grandparents? I had a grandfather, Elmer Johnson, who would pray for his family at night. He was hard of hearing, wore a hearing aid, and at night, he would kneel next to his bed, take his hearing aid off, put it on the bedside table, and he couldn't hear himself pray, but everybody else in the house could hear him. <laughs> Some of my earliest memories are hearing my grandfather pray for me by name. Now, he died when I was six years old, but his prayers did not. Our prayers don't die when we do. There is no expiration date on prayer. And the day's gonna come when we cross the space-time continuum and enter into this dimension that the Bible calls heaven, that God is gonna connect the dots across nations and generations because we're so small-minded, because we think right here, right now, and God is thinking nations and generations, and we can hardly believe him for a city, and he says, ask of me and I will give you the nations. And we think that what God does for us is for us, but it's never just for us. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's the God who plans things three generations in advance. And you may not see the answer to your prayers right here and right now, but the day will come that God will show you the memorial offering that you built by faith. Some of the most powerful moments in my life have been the moments when things have happened that I know I didn't do anything to deserve it. And the Spirit of God in that still small voice has said, Mark, the prayers of your grandfather are being answered in your life right now. By the way, you may not have had a praying grandparent, but you can be one. Come on, let's start it. Let's build those memorial offerings to God.
Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner. His house is by the sea. And when the angel who had spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, I don't have time to teach on this, but in the first century, the average person never, never traveled outside a 30-mile radius of their birthplace, a very small world. We see this and think it's only 32 miles from Caesarea to Joppa. What's the big deal? No, this is huge. God will never ask us to do something that's outside the guardrails of his good, pleasing, and perfect will, right? But he will ask us to do something different. See, we want God to do something new while we keep doing the same old thing. I wonder if that's why R.T. Kendall said that sometimes the greatest opposition to what God wants to do next comes from those who are on the cutting edge of what God did last. Let me tell you what faith is. Faith is taking the first step before God reveals the second step. I want the second step and the third and the tenth and the hundredth. But that's not faith. Faith is taking the first step and Cornelius has the faith to take the first step. And so here's where we're at. We've got one person praying. Can I show you what happens when two people pray? Okay, verse nine. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Became hungry, wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open, something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. Contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I love verse 14. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. Now, I'm pretty sure that when you call someone Lord, the two words that can never precede that are surely not. But I also understand what's happening. I mean, this is Jewish dietary law. This is unthinkable, but you know that the game is changing, right? And so he has a vision, and sometimes you have to risk your reputation to establish God's reputation. And we're about to see what happens, but let me just say this. I, I get it. I mean, come on. Is there anybody here tonight who, who has never said to the Lord, surely not? I mean, all of us have been there. But, but here is one of the most critical lessons I've learned in my walk with the Lord. Here it is. When you get into an argument with God, if you win that argument, you lose. And if you lose that argument, you win. I'm telling you, I believe this is true of the people that we pastor. And, and my job as a pastor, you know what it is, to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> the first part is love. The second part is tough love. There are people in our churches that I, I believe are one lost argument with God away from the miracle that they need in their lives. Let me have a little bit of fun with this. Uh, when we first started out our first year, uh, we didn't have anybody lead worship. We certainly didn't have elevation. <laughs> awesome, right? I led worship. 
I was not invited here to sing. I would not do that to you. The only thing worse than my voice is my rhythm. And we didn't have a drummer. And so our first year, the predominant prayer that we prayed was, Lord, send us a drummer. Send us a drummer, send us a drummer. Save people, but send us a drummer first. <laughs> we need a drummer. And uh, one day after praying this probably 100 times, I, I felt like the Lord said, well, why don't you go out and buy a drum set? And my response was, well, as soon as you send us a drummer. Because <laughs> I, I want God to go first. We want God to go first. Because then it doesn't require any faith. I will never forget this day. This is pre-Google. I had to look in something called a newspaper to find a used drum set up in Silver Spring, Maryland. I remember driving up there thinking to myself the whole time because here's the deal. Our income at the time was $2,000 a month. It cost $1,600 to rent the D.C. public school where we met. That left $400 for our salary and all other expenses. Anybody want to guess how much the drum set cost? Yeah, we serve the same God. 400 bucks. I mean, this is all in. And I'm, I'm driving up there and I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. I'm buying a drum set for an imaginary drummer that doesn't even exist with money that we don't even have. But it was a step of faith. And I somehow believed that God was gonna honor it because I had heard that prompting. And so that was a Thursday, that Sunday, kid walks in, clean cut, could tell he was military, Marine Corps. Yeah, come on. Are you ready for this? Eighth and I, station eighth and I, drum and bugle corps. Okay, we, we now have, you know, with our eight campuses, I mean, we have 160 people on our worship team and all of them have to audition. But we do have one rule. If you're in the drum and bugle corps, if you play an instrument for the President of the United States, you do not need to audition. You are automatically on our team. Come on, listen, that one step of faith and God shows up and shows off. Doesn't just send us a drummer, sends us a rock star. All right, I gotta move quickly. It continues, it says, the voice spoke to him a second time, said do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Immediately, the sheet was taken back to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. What an incredible divine appointment. I mean, just to state the obvious, Italian soldiers and Jewish apostles did not follow each other on Twitter. 
Don't friend each other on Facebook. This is a meeting that should have never happened. But I tell you, when you follow Jesus, he's gonna take you places you can't go. You're gonna meet people, you have no, you're gonna do things that are beyond your ability. Why, because he's the one who's leading the way. And so God sets up this divine appointment. Now why would he hesitate to go? Because the only thing more unthinkable than eating an unclean animal was to associate with an unclean person. This is perhaps the most significant moment in the history of the church. Verse 24, the following day he arrived in Caesarea, and you know what happens. Cornelius was expecting them, he called together his relatives and close friends, you know what happens. I'm gonna end with this, as Peter entered the house, this is the defining, this is the turning point, this is it right here. Now I call it the door to whosoever. It's the wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia. It's the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland. I mean, what's the big deal? Entered the house, right? Just one step. One step of faith. But the second he steps through that door, are you ready? Whosoever will may come. Now, I have a question. How many here tonight are not Jewish? How did you get here? I'll tell you how you got here as the band comes. A man named Cornelius was praying to God regularly. And when you pray to God regularly, you might get a vision from God. By the way, I love the fact that it's three in the afternoon. Is there anybody else? That is the least likely time to get a vision from God. I mean, circadian rhythm just dips. Like, I need a nap, not a vision. God gives Cornelius a vision, and he takes what? One step of faith. That's all it takes. God's gonna more than meet you in the middle. And over here is a guy named Peter who's up on a rooftop praying. Has a crazy vision. Surely not, Lord. Surely not. Do some of you tonight have a vision from God? Maybe it just seems too crazy, too big. But the next thing you know, this divine appointment happens, and a guy praying over here, and a guy praying over here, and the next thing you know, Cornelius and his family are baptized, first Gentile converts, and so God answers that prayer in an amazing way, but here's the beautiful thing doesn't answer those prayers one time. I would submit that he answered them billions of times. And he answered it one more time the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. How did you get here? I'll tell you how you got here. Power of a single prayer. That's our God. That's how he works. That's what he does. Yeah. So let me close with this. A hundred years ago, evangelist by the name of Gypsy Smith. Uh, 
born in a tent outside of London. Humble upbringing. Uh, uneducated as far as schooling goes, but was invited to lecture at Harvard University. I uh, was invited by two presidents to the White House. Uh, crisscrossed the Atlantic Ocean 45 times preaching the gospel to millions of people. And it's said that he never preached, but that at least one person didn't put their full faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Powerful ministry. And so one day, a, a delegation of folks that uh, were seeking an audience with Gypsy Smith um, asked him a question. It said, how can we make a difference with our lives the way that you have with yours? I love his answer. Some of you know this story. Gypsy Smith said, go home. Go home and lock yourself in your bedroom. And then take a piece of chalk and draw a circle on the floor. And then kneel in that circle and pray brokenly and fervently that God would send revival inside that circle. Tonight, can we not worry about the person next to us? Can we not worry about the church that the Lord has maybe called us to lead or pastor, love? Can we not worry about those things? And can we believe that maybe, just maybe, maybe we've been seeking revival out here. And what God wants to do is something in here. And I'll tell you this, if revival begins right here in this circle, you better look out. Because God's going to do something immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us.